Well, I encourage you to turn to the letter of 2 Peter. Letter of 2 Peter, a small letter close to the end of your Bibles. Uh, About a year or so ago, we finished going through Peter's first letter. And that was a very appropriate letter for our day. And in many ways, we didn't know it then, but 1 Peter was preparing us. It was preparing our church for everything that has happened in this crazy year that is 2020, this wildly unpredictable year. We've had to think through questions like, how do we relate to our governing authorities? What's our responsibility to our leaders, not only in government, but in every place where we interact with unbelievers? We learned about submission, but not just a grumbling sort of submission, a joyful submission for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our witness to an unbelieving, um, oft-times Christianity-opposing, Christianity-persecuting world, this world that we live in. Maybe the theme verse on that subject was 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and may glorify God on the day of visitation, may even glorify God on the day when he visits us. First Peter had a lot to say about Christian conduct, how we behave in the world and how we relate to the world. And and all of That with a view to being winsome toward a godless world so that some people might even come to believe. Even though back last year we had no idea what was coming, we had lots of opportunity over the last few months to practice this kind of submission and to bless people and to do good. And praise the Lord, he has been kind in adding to our number some who have been converted and who will glorify God when he comes. That has happened through God's sovereignty, but as our people have done good to others and have blessed. But the mass changes in our world and in our culture have also heightened the need for God's people to really buckle down and to know what they believe and to increase in the knowledge of who they believe in, namely God himself. And that brings us to 2 Peter. If 1 Peter was about preparing God's people to deal with persecution and suffering, then 2 Peter is going to teach us that knowing God better is the key to preparing us for what is to come now in this world and for what is to come in the future. Knowing God, increasing in your knowledge of God, is the key to navigating this world and in preparing us for what is to come. You may have heard the advice that goes like this. It's not important what you know. It is important who you know. And the idea of that little bit of advice is to move, up in the, to, to move up the ladder in whatever field. You have to know the right people. You have to be connected. And that's true. Sometimes knowing the right people matters more than your education. Who you know is more important than what you know. People, even who are 
not as bright as others, can sometimes advance further than the people who are experts in their field, simply because they know the right people. And that might seem in some ways to be unfair, but that's just the way it is. Well, for Christians, this is not a matter of one or the other. Both are important. For Christians, it is important who we know. It actually starts there. It starts in the Christian life with knowing God, with coming to know God in terms of knowing God intimately through the person of His Son. Knowing God in salvation. And to know God in salvation, we must know some things about God. That He is completely holy, as we sang this morning. That because He is holy, He must judge all sin. And He must judge sinners. We must know that God is loving and sending His Son so that sinners have an opportunity to come to God. And we must know that God in an extravagant display where his justice meets his love and his grace, God foreordained that his perfect and, ho- and, and holy and only Son would receive the condemnation and curse and penalty for sin that should have come down on sinners. We must know God in that way in order to be saved, in order for then for us to then turn from our sins and entrust ourselves totally to Jesus Christ and in his death on the cross. We must know the God of the gospel. It is important who we know. It is important that we know God initially, but once we are converted, we all enter into this lifelong quest to know God. This lifelong adventure, we might say, of knowing God. This lifelong pursuit of knowing God. There's, that's really much of what ought to occupy and consume our Christian lives. You know, there is so much to learn in our world. God has given us a schoolroom of discovery on this earth and even in this universe. And we can give ourselves to knowing, about a, knowing more about a certain subject, whether that be the stars or whether that be the minuscule strands of DNA, whether that be engineering or whether it be economics, whether it be mechanics or mathematics, quilting or quantum physics, paintings or puppies, framing or farming. As we study those subjects, we should aim to know God more. He gave all those disciplines to reveal something about his wonder and his beauty, to aid us and assist us in knowing him more. But our greatest aim should be to know God, period. To know his attributes, to understand the depth of his love and of his grace and of his mercy and of his forgiveness and of his justice and of his glory. There is no higher pursuit than knowing God. A book that has become a Christian classic is a book simply called Knowing God, written by J.I. Packer, who just died last month. He wrote this book back in 1973. But in the first chapter of that book, he writes this. He says, Knowing God is the most practical project anyone can engage in. Knowing about our God is crucially important for the living of our lives. 
we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it is disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfold, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way, he says, you can waste your life and lose your soul. End quote. It is crucially important that we know God. It is a practical project. And Second Peter is going to help us with exactly that over these next nine or ten weeks, Lord willing. Knowing God will keep us anchored in this world rather than, or in his word, rather than stumbling and bumbling and, and blundering, as Packer says, through this world. And so today I just want to give us a quick overview on how Second Peter will be helpful to you and helpful to our church as we live in this world during unpredictable and troubling times. And I've come up with seven ways this short letter will be helpful for you. Seven reasons you will need to know this letter. This is basically my pitch for you to stay with us. But my pitch is actually pretty meaningless, isn't it? The main pitch is that God included this letter in the Bible. And so... The first five reasons are going to come from the entirety of the letter, and the last two will be from the first two verses. What can you expect from 2 Peter? Why should you take an interest in this little letter? Well, first, because false teachers will come and try to distort the truth about God. False teachers will come. It says here that false teachers will be coming. And by the way, if you look to Jude, which Pastor Andrew read, it's the same sort of topic. There's much overlap in these two letters. But in Jude, the false teachers are already there. They've already infiltrated. Peter warns us, the church, that they're coming. And this is really a huge theme in this letter. Peter wrote this letter close to the end of his life. But before he died, the one thing he wanted to do is to warn Christians about false teachers that were going to try to infiltrate the church. And Peter does not hold back in in exposing and denouncing false teachers and in warning the church about them. When it comes to false teachers, Peter does not feel the need to tread softly or to tread gently. He exposes them head on. In this letter, we don't see a meek and mild Peter. We see a belligerent Peter. A Peter who is ready to drop his mitts and fight in order to protect the church and to warn the church. He calls them, among other things, irrational animals. In chapter 2, verse 11. Blots and blemishes. In verse 13 of chapter 2. Accursed children. In verse 14. Waterless springs. In verse 17. In case you're wondering, those are extreme first century takedowns. Peter 
is going to take down these false teachers. These are disparagements, huge insults. Second Peter is only three chapters long, actually only, only three pages in my Bible. But all of chapter 2 is devoted to calling out false teachers, and it spills over into chapter 3 as well. For this kind of tone to be part of Peter's last words meant that this was serious. We're never really told the exact nature of their false teaching, but it was a serious threat to Christians. That much we know. And false teaching is threatening because false, false teaching is always very subtle. It's often smooth-sounding. Often, sometimes, it even has an air of humility. It holds out false promises that most times seem inviting. It often takes, advantages, it takes advantage of people's emotions. False teaching is often deceptive. Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, told his disciples, Mark 13, verse 22, that false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, to deceive even the elect. To deceive, if possible, God's chosen people. 2 Timothy 3, verses 6 and 8, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. They have an ability to capture through their smooth-sounding words. I read somewhere last week that every single New Testament book mentions or warns about false teaching. Every single book in the New Testament. False teaching is a constant threat. It was back then, and it is so today. Like I said, false teaching is usually cloaked to look good and to sound good, but it is corrupt on the inside. Two of the ways it seems like it comes at us today is through mass media and through music. Each of those exert a tremendous ability to influence Tremendous ability to influence. Mass media can be massaged and manicured to come off as truthful. And this is proliferated in our day, even in false churches. The show is what draws people in. But behind the show can be error. John MacArthur recently said in an interview I watched that many modern church worship services have been reduced to a rock concert followed by a TED Talk. Long worship, a rock concert filled with smoke and all sorts of things, and then a short little talk tacked on to the end. And if we look around at many attractional-type churches, that's true. We need to make sure, always as believers, that we look behind the show, that we get behind the stage and to see whether the truth is being taught. Music's influence is felt in its ability to persuade by exciting our emotions and by arousing our passions. That's good in and of of itself. Uh, That's why the Lord gave us music, to arouse our passions for Him. As we learn the truth about Him, it, it, it ignites our emotions. 
But we need to be careful again that we weigh the content of the songs and that we don't get carried away by, by emotionalism and by musicality. And at the same time, ingest errant theology. And so 2 Peter is especially going to help us be aware of false teachers and false teachings, and especially the kinds of teachings that oppose the true knowledge of God with false perceptions of God, which is why it is important for us to pursue knowing the truth about God. And so there's a big need in the church today for discernment, for the ability to separate truth from error and to call it out. Where do we get that ability? Well, that takes us to the second point. We can also look forward to 2 Peter because it's going to remind us that God's Word is completely sufficient. God's Word is completely sufficient. It is in God's Word that we can find the truth and that we can know the truth and that we can separate error out from truth. It's that place where we most basically can find out the truth about God. There's a very important section at the end of chapter 1. And one of the things it says in that section about God's Word is that we would do well to pay attention to it. It's in chapter 1, verse 19. And the reason God's people ought to give their attention is because it is a sure word. And because it is a sure word, it proves to be trustworthy and sufficient. The Bible provides everything, it says at the beginning of chapter 1, everything that we need for life and godliness. The knowledge of God provides that for us. The Bible is our go-to source for knowing God. In fact, it is our only objective source for knowing the truth about God. Yes, God can be known through nature, such that no one has an excuse for denying God's existence. Romans 1 talks about that. But in order to discern false notions of God from true notions of God, the Bible is our sole source. Yet that one source proves to be completely sufficient for everything that we need for life and godliness. Second Peter is going to help us understand the importance of knowing God through his word. And it should spur us on to want to give the Bible our highest attention. I pray this study will increase our appetite for God's word. Thirdly, we can look forward to 2 Peter because it's going to help us prepare for the inevitability of the second coming of Jesus as ruler and as judge. 2 Peter talks a lot about final judgment. And aren't we hearing a lot about that in our day? Aren't we hearing a lot about the end? Especially from Christian folk. Theories about antichrists. Conjectures about the marks of the beast. Speculations on whether these events are bringing about a one-world order. Questions about how these events fit into God's end times timetable. I get videos and links sent to me all the time about these sort of things. Well, 2 Peter has a sure word for us on that. And it goes in two directions. One, it's going to assure us that judgment is certain. It is going to assure us that judgment is certain. This is in response to the false teachers mocking any notion that Jesus is going to come again. That was one of their false teachings, that judgment isn't going to happen. 
2 Peter 3, verse 3 describes them there as scoffers. And verse 4 gives voice to their mockery. It says there in 2 Peter 3, verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, ever since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died, that's what he means here by the fathers, it says ever since they fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were since the beginning of creation. That's what the false teachers will be saying. Everything's just going to keep on going. No need to worry about judgment. Jesus isn't coming again. History just keeps on going. Nothing has changed and nothing will change. While to the contrary, 2 Peter sounds the warning that judgment is certain. It will be massive and it's going to come on a global scale such that no one will miss it. But not only is judgment certain, 2 Peter also assures us that escape from judgment is possible. That's the other direction. We're also going to find out why God has, up until now, as yet, delayed his judgment. And it's because God is patient. God has still given people an opportunity to repent. This is still the time of grace. This is a time to heed his invitation to come to him by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And so if you are not a Christian, pay attention to the two directions of this warning. Judgment is certain, yes, but escape from judgment is as yet still possible. I would plead with you not to wait. Listen, we don't know when the Lord will come. It's one thing we can't know about the Lord. Not even the Son knows, the Bible says. There's no guarantee that he will be patient even through the end of this series. Don't wait until we get there. Today is the day of salvation. He invites you to come. Turn from, from your sins and believe on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, number four, reason we can look forward to 2 Peter, because it will encourage us to stay the course. It will encourage believers to be steady in our faith. We all know there are times when our faith gets a little bit wobbly. Times when we doubt that God cares. Times when we even wonder if God knows what we're going through. Times like we're experiencing right now, when we fear uncertainty, when we fear sickness, when we fear death, times when we lose confidence that God is still in control and that he's got this. We do experience doubts. Well, Second Peter is going to call us to stay steady, to stay rooted, to stand firm in our faith. It keeps using words here like established, and strengthened and stable. Actually, those all come from the same Greek root word. It, it comes here as an encouragement towards steadiness, such as in chapter 1, verse 12, where it talks about being established in the faith. But it's also a warning that false teachers, chapter 2, verse 14, can entice unsteady souls. We should therefore take care not to Lose your own stability, chapter 3, verse 17, and rather to find our sure footing in the knowledge 
of God as it comes to us in his word. This is the antidote. This is the remedy to doubt and fear and loss of confidence. It is to stay the course. It is to, to, to be steady in our faith. Number five, we can expect Second Peter to call us to live holy lives until the Lord comes. Yes, we need to be aware of false teachings. Yes, we need to be prepared for the second coming and to grow in our ability to discern truth from error, truth from untruth. But our our primary calling is to live holy lives. It is to separate ourselves from the world. That's what it means to be holy. This is what ought to consume God's people until Jesus comes again. Don't be consumed with speculations or predictions or questions. Give yourself to holiness as you come to know God you will grow to be like him. Give yourself to be who God has saved you to be. And Peter introduces that to us right from the top, as we'll see next week in in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1. But this call to holiness really dots the letter. And in chapter 3, verse 11, Peter says, Since we know the end is coming, he says, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord. That's interesting, isn't it? Did you hear that? There is a way in which the holiness and godliness of God's people accelerates the Lord's coming. If you're saying, how long, O Lord? Or if you're saying, come quickly, Lord, as we all should do, you can actually participate in speeding up His coming. And that comes by denying yourself by not following in the course of this world, by courageously standing apart from the world, by not participating in the deeds of darkness, by not loving the world nor the things of the world. This has implications in what we do, doesn't it? It has implications in what we watch. It has implications in whom we keep company with. It has implications in what we read. It has implications even in how we talk. Second Peter is going to help us with that. Well, all of those things will be in this short, compact book of the Bible. It's a very practical book. It's a very relevant book. But there are two more reasons to understand Second Peter. And they show up just in the first two verses. And just let me read that introduction to the letter as part of our conclusion today. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Simeon Peter. Simeon is actually the Hebrew form of Simon, uh, of Simon Peter's name. Usually goes by Simon Peter, but here he calls himself Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So number six, reason to look forward to 2 Peter is because it is a reminder, a profound reminder, even in these greetings, that our our faith rests in the righteousness of God. This greeting is rich with good news of great gospel reality. And Peter identifies himself as a joyful slave and a privileged apostle of Jesus Christ. He says he's writing this to believers, and then he describes how believers became believers. 
It says, they have obtained a faith. A faith that's the same as his. And so right away, we see that even our faith is a gift that is granted by God himself, right? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God even awakens our faith in regeneration. And then it tells us where our faith rests. It comes by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is such a precious truth, dear Christian. This is a truth that if you give it some thought and some meditation, will become more precious the longer that you are a Christian. This is something you must give your thought to. I I know this truth hit me with its greatest force and produced the greatest awe while I was already a pastor. As I was writing a paper defending what I believe for my ordination of all things. It's this truth that I am righteous only because of the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the amazing and humbling reality and realization that my sin was laid on Christ so that God could lay the perfect righteousness of Christ on me. In other words... Wages of sin are death, aren't they? But Jesus got my sin. And I got Jesus' righteousness. As a totally undeserved, unmerited gift. Let that reality of that truth humble you and cause you to worship. I might not do that for you now, but keep thinking about it and meditating on it. If you, if you want another verse that gets to the heart of it, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, For our sake, He that is God made Him that is Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Let that sink in. It's, but even here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it also reminds us of that glorious gospel reality. Our faith is rooted in God's saving righteousness. And then finally, to bring it for, a full circle, number seven, the seventh reason to look forward to 2 Peter is because it will reinforce our resolve to pursue the knowledge of God. That's what Peter wants this letter to produce in his readers which includes us reading this letter here in 2020. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Where? How how do we get to experience this, this multiplied, this heightened, this amplified awareness of God's grace and peace? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is your greatest pursuit, brother and sister Christian. Christian children, Christian students, we've thought about school already this year. As you're thinking about heading back to school, or at least some semblance of school, whatever that might look like, remember that your greatest pursuit in life is not education. It is not to set yourself up to get a good job. 
Yes, that is important. But your greatest pursuit is the knowledge of God so that you are set up for eternal life. Young people, your greatest pursuit should not be to get to know someone who might be your future spouse. That is important. But your greatest pursuit should be to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. Adults, your greatest pursuit should not be to set yourself up for retirement. That might be important. Okay, it is important, but your greatest pursuit should be to grow in your knowledge of God, in which you will find lasting riches. Psalm 119, verse 14 says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. And senior saints, I encourage you, I encourage us, I guess, I have to put myself in there now, to not look backward, but to keep straining forward. Keep straining forward in an ongoing pursuit to know the God whom you will soon see face to face. Give yourself to that pursuit. Well, all that to say that we look forward to this inspired letter stirring us up in pursuit to know this God whom we worship. This is the first word in First Peter, and it's also the last word. In chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God help us to grow to that end. Let's bow in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you that you have spoken. And we thank you that you speak. Your word is living and active. You speak to us in your word. Your word is indeed truth. And in your word, you reveal yourself. You reveal yourself because you want your people to know you. And so we thank you for giving us this Holy Spirit-inspired letter of Second Peter. We pray that it would assist us in knowing who you are, that it would indeed expand our knowledge, but even more so that it would increase our love for you, that it would increase our love for your Son, that it would increase our love for your people. Help us indeed to grow in our knowledge of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.